Welcome to 1001 Books, the podcast where we read the 1001 books you're supposed to read before you die and see if you're, they're worth your time. I'm Nicole, a lover of historical fiction and Harry Potter. And I'm Chelsea. I'm always down for a good book that will make me sob hysterically. Today we're talking about our fourth book, uh, Pierre and Jean by Guy de... I'm going to brochure this French last name. I apologize to this dead author, Maupassant. <laughs> <laughs> um, which was published originally in 1888. Um, but before we get into that, um, let's talk about what we, else we've been reading lately besides our book list books. Yeah, so I probably say this every episode. It's a running joke with everyone that I talk about being a teacher. But I have been reading a book about teaching, and it's called uh, Teacher Wars. And it's a, a history of, the Uni- of America's most embattled profession. And it is by Dana Goldstein. And it's just a really interesting nonfiction book. And it looks at how teaching started out in, like, basically um, the 1800s when they were sending out single women to go teach in these new towns that had been developed through homesteading and stuff. And then it goes up through teaching today and kind of talks about how the racial divide in education was created and all this good stuff. And so I've just totally been geeking out about it. That's so you. And it is true that if you Chelsea meets someone new for the first time, the chances that she's going to drop the fact that she's a teacher in the first, like, five minutes are very high. Even when we're in, like, a foreign country. Like, it's really great. Um, for me, I just started a new job this week, and so I've been uh, very consumed with, like, in taking lots of boring trainings and important information about my new job, so I haven't been... I've been, like, crashing every night, and so... Mostly this week, I just read this book, Pierre and Jean, so I'd be ready for this. But I have a new um, book in my bag right now that won the Pulitzer Prize last year. And it's called The Sympathizer um, by Viet Thanh Nguyen. And it's supposed to be really good. It has like amazing reviews about, um, it's about the Vietnam War. And it's this author's first book. Um, and I, like, I think I got it from another book podcast when they were talking about trying to read more books by people of color. I'm a more... Um, you know, that the canon should be more representative of what people really are, look like in the world. And so that's where I got this book from. Oh, nice. So I'm really excited to start it tomorrow because uh, it has to go back to the library soon. So I better get going on it before that Gotta happens. roll through that yes. book. Well, moving on, we wanted to talk about our one-word descriptions for this book. Nicole, do you want to tell what yours was? Yeah, so my one-word description for this book is judgmental. Yes, mine is dysfunctional. Uh, Yeah, I think those are both really good words to describe this book. And when we get into the spoiler alert section and go really into what this book was about, you'll kind of hear this. One thing I did really like about this book that's not a spoiler was that it was pretty short. Yeah, about 140 pages because we skipped a... The book, so we're reading an English, it's a French book, we're reading an English translation, um, and there's like an introduction by the translator to the novel, and then there's an introduction written by the author that was originally published with it, and that's really long, and we both just skipped over that, and for me it's because I've, ever since in high school, we read The Scarlet Letter, and there's like a really long introduction to that book, and I remember our teacher had us read it twice because people had obviously hadn't read it. But I was such a goody two-shoes rule follower that I read it again. I don't know why. It seemed like a... And I hated it. 
I hated that introduction. And so ever since then, I never touched the introduction of any novel, even when it's to my detriment. I just like read the Wikipedia article if you have to. (laughs) What's funny about that is we were in the same class and I guarantee you that I read the introduction neither time. So, you know, there's a look into our past. I'm not not that much of a rule follower anymore. (laughs) I was like a very much grade grubbing student. So uh, not something I'm proud of. And so then once, once you just get to the actual novel, it's only like 140 pages, even though, even as it's a translation. Unusual. Yeah. So that was actually yeah. really, really nice as we were reading it. Um, especially when you're reading something translated and you go into it, you it's nice to see that it's shorter because sometimes yeah. it could be a little rough. I also thought that this translation was really modern, like it read really easily. And, yeah. some, and I didn't know if that was because so this book came out in 1888 and so... Some, like another French author, Alexander Dumas, he, his books, even though they're old, they read like modern novels, I think, because he was like kind of ahead of his time. Yeah. And so I wonder if when this novel came out, it was kind of advanced or if this translation is like making it more modern. But again, I didn't read that introduction, so I'll never know the answer to that question. And just in case anybody chooses to read this book, the translation that we're talking about right now is the Penguin Classics version, and it is translated by Leonard Tancock. Uh, so just in case you're wanting to make sure you read a modernized version or maybe it's not modernized from the beginning, but this translation, that's the one we have. Yeah. So now we're going to, we're, if you, in case you want to read this book from 1888 before we hear about it, turn off the podcast right now and come back to us. <laughs> um, so I'm going to give you a real quick plot summary of this very short novel. So this book is about a French family and they live in, do you know how to pronounce the city that they live in? In Le Havre. La Havre, <laughs> and uh, and there's two bro- two adult brothers, and they're both kind of about to start out on their careers, and then they get notice that a, a family friend in Paris has died, and he's left all his money to the younger brother, and then most of the novel is the older brother trying to process like. I'm, I love my brother. I'm jealous of him. I love him. I'm jealous of him. I hate him. I love him. I'm jealous of him. That's pretty much what we got going on. <laughs> oh, and there's some adultery thrown in. Yeah, and so then late, so eventually the uh, bro- the older brother, because of other people's suggestions in his own mind running away from them, he thinks, the reason this man left my brother the money and not me, even though we both were friends with him, is because um, he's my brother's actual father. And so he just starts to like hate his mother basically that like thinking that she had committed adultery and has been lying about it for all these years and then it turns out he's right and he did and his mom did commit adultery with the, this guy and was like with him for like 10 years secretly um and that and that's why and then the he tells his brother the younger one jean and um and G, and like pierre is like now i hate my mother i could never be in the same room as her because she disgusts me and and jean is like i still love my mother right this isn't you know like it's a totally i'm okay with this probably because he got the money let's be yeah. honest <laughs> and then and then basically the solution is that he like works it out for pierre to go and weigh and work on a ship so he's not around because they the family just can't stand to be around each other yeah. all the while the biological father of Pierre and the thought father of Jean has no idea what's going on which is really funny it's just this like clueless old man yeah and he's just like I just want to go fishing oh my son's getting engaged Uh, okay great like he's he's very uh he's not very well developed character what's funny about this quick plot is before we started this podcast recording today we were like we're gonna do a really quick quick plot well here's the thing that I I guess I don't know about quick plots is that are we giving because it's like are we giving like a teaser or are we giving away the ending? You know? So in this case, we gave away the ending. But when, if I had stopped at just the teaser, it would have been short. Maybe we should do the teaser before the spoiler alert. And then oh. do the ending. All right. 
great, listeners. Look forward to that next week. <laughs> we're, we're doing this as we go. If you ever have any advice for us, please feel free to leave it on our websites, which we'll be talking about later. Yes. All right. So, Chelsea, what did you think of this book, other than that it was about dysfunction? It was dysfunctional. Well, I would just like to say that the reason I knew how to pronounce Lahav is because there's a really fun board game oh. that is named this, and it's like a trading board game. Um, so <laughs> that sounds fun. Do you know the company that makes it? Cause maybe they'll send us a copy of it. <laughs> I do not. Just kidding. That would never happen, but we wish. Yeah. Um, but so there's a board game called this. And so it was so funny cause the whole time I was reading, I was like, this port that they're in is this board game, <laughs> which this book was written like 200, no, 150 years before the board game was made. 130 years before the board game was made. But you know, maybe we should send the makers of the board game a copy of this book. <laughs> Yeah, so I uh, wanted to say that just in case you ever want to play that board game, it's real fun. Uh, And, you know, (laughs) I got some context from that board game to apply to this historical novel. (laughs) That's lovely. I mean, sometimes you'll get like, you'll be at Bar Trivia. I got a question right last night at Bar Trivia because of the movie My Big Fat Greek Wedding. So you just, you know, information comes to you. You can't like turn it away. You never know. (laughs) Also, that was something I noticed in this book. Uh, at one point there's a really, I guess it's only like two paragraphs long, but description of like the cliffs at Normandy. And I was like, Oh, Normandy, World War II had no conception of it existing before that until this book made me realize, Oh yeah, this is like a real place. Right. Well, I'm sure even like Americans who were alive then, like things would be in the news and it would be like, no one had ever heard of Iwo Jima where it was. And then suddenly every American knew where it was, you know, this is like that. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. it was really interesting. Yeah. It was talking about them and what they looked like in these beautiful cliffs, which is something we don't think of. No, not at all. So now I saw an article recently that they did a study and it's like, I think they said like 25% of the sand on the beaches of Normandy is like ground down artillery, like yeah, and like that's crazy to this day. Isn't that crazy? Oh God, that's insane. <laughs> yeah, now I, I'm pretty sure it was about 25. percent Yeah, and it, I I don't know why research money is being spent on studying that, but it is a very interesting fact. Maybe they need to know if it was going to make people sick or something. Yeah, and they're or still animals. they're still always like uncovering like unexploded bombs and stuff. You know, from yeah, all sorts of wars. So, um, so let's see. So my thoughts on this book, you know, I feel like we've reviewed books on this podcast that I either like ugh hated the midnight mm-hmm. examiner really loved Pavel's letters or or like like it was okay but I understand its historical significance and so I can appreciate it from the bell tolls and this book I feel like I it was interesting I read it I was entertained but it's I don't think it's gonna stick with me you know yeah um but I think the way I, I like, I kind of liked how it was written. Some of like Pierre's, like when he'd like go go to the harbor and think about his jealousy, you know, why trying to figure out why do I, why am I so upset about this money thing? Um, that kind of stream of consciousness writing I thought was really well done, mm-hmm. and I thought it was pretty realistic how people do react, like when a family member or a close friend something you know good happens to them, and you you want to feel happy for them, but you kind of got to process the part of you that's like I want that to happen for me mm-hmm. before you can really feel happy for them, you know. Well, yeah, I, yeah, a couple points in the novel, I just felt like I was so annoyed with Pierre. Like, he's being so melodramatic, he's reacting to these big reactions. But then I had to, like, take a step back and be like, well, if somebody gave my brother, like, a million dollar inheritance and didn't give it to me, 
I probably would have these nasty thoughts. I maybe would not treat my mother the way he treats his mother, but that's for later conversation. That might be like, we just live in more modern times, you know? But yeah, so it was like, I was reading it and I was like, God, he's being so melodramatic. But really that's why your brain does process. Like you never want to share those terrible things you think sometimes, but you right everybody it's eternal. thinks that it's true consciousness yeah and the other thing that made him annoying was that it's like listed in the book that he's 30 years old like he's not like a kid you yeah. know and so it already it's weird that he's not yet established in his profession because it talks about how it took him a long time to settle down on like what he wanted to study he becomes a doctor and so it's just like he's obviously like kind of at loose ends in life you know he doesn't have his shit together <laughs> kind of felt like he was entitled which is interesting because I think of entitlement and I think of it as like a new concept, like where the entitled generation comes up a lot from people, but yeah, we're killing napkins and diamonds or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So, but he seemed so entitled in this book. He just thought, you know, the world was going to come to him. And at one point he's thinking about his brother getting the inheritance and the guy who gave it to his brother, who I can't remember his name. It started with an M. Um, and he's thinking, but I would come to him when I was at school and just look at him and he would know I need money and he'd give me money and then it would just get forgotten about and I would never have to pay him back. I know. What a jerk. And like, I was like, that is so entitled. Yeah. This is like 1800s entitlement. Yeah. You know, speaking of like you had to think about that your, oh, my brother got a big inheritance. In my family, like my parents and my brother and I all had a conversation like last summer where, where we said, oh, we... If any of us wins the lottery, you know, like, this is how we're, we're going to divvy it up. So everyone in the family gets, like, this amount of money and then, like, this amount of money for, like, more distant relatives. And so we already have an agreement that if this situation came up that, of course, the original inheritor mm-hmm. would get would get the most money. But I would, like, pay off my brother's student loans or something yeah. if I came into a lot of money to make it easier for them. And he would do something like that for me. So I, so the fact that... It's, he does at one point think about, oh, I should ask my brother for money to rent this apartment to start my medical practice. Um, but I just feel like the fact that it wasn't a given that the whole family is going to be blessed by this situation uh-huh. speaks to their what their existing relationship was like, which is discussed as just being very, very competitive, which a lot of siblings are like that. But I feel like it's if by the time you're 25 and 30 you should have worked out some of those issues. Yeah. And I feel like that's even in the 1880s, if the if people's lifespans were generally shorter, that is the equivalent of being even older, like you know, if you're going to die older. when you're 60, yeah. you know? And so, so yeah, they're, it's just, they're not very admirable. <laughs> yeah, it was interesting. I also had some issues with the mother's character. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and even apart from the... Like, the affair. Because it seems like it was the 1800s, the way she's talking about it. Like, she was basically forced into a marriage. It's very different than choosing your spouse. Like, she was in an affair with a man that she thought Mm -hmm. she was in love with. But there is no recourse for women back then for doing that. Yeah, they couldn't, yeah. But her reaction to her child finding out, her firstborn child finding out was, I can never look at him again. I'm going to cry hysterically in my bed. Younger son, you need to get rid of him. Yeah, it which was is real. so strange. Because even if you have, like, lots of people have children with people who are eventually not their partner, but they still love those children, even when the spouse or partner has done terrible things. 
So I feel, yeah, it doesn't like, she, why would she not still love her older son? Well, and it was like, <laughs> I can't handle that he's lashing out at me. And I understand Pierre was an adult, which was part of also the fact that he was lashing out at his mother so violently in this novel. Mm-hmm. He just was straight up a jerk to her. Yeah. Like at every opportunity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But like that she was just like, oh, he's such a dick to me now. I, I don't want him around anymore. What? Yeah. It's, what? Yeah. And also, I mean, maybe because I just like, it's hard to put, we're not in the 1880s. It's hard to put it in its like historical context. Mm-hmm. But if this was a modern novel, I feel like the mom would just be like, yes, this happened. It's not something I'm proud of. It doesn't mean that I love you any less. I love you both the same. Let's go to therapy. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. It it's, was like, just... it's like, I feel like this situation exists in families or something similar a lot, you know, like mm-hmm. in the real world. So, um, so it's kind of, and then at the end when he like, he's going to go be a ship doctor. So he's going to like be on the, the Atlantic crossing as the doctor, um, back and forth from say the city name again, La Havre, La Havre. Um, and, and he's just kind of like, great. Like I'm like, I'm going to be free. And then there's like moments where like they're trying to say goodbye and it's like, obviously they both wish they had handled the situation differently, but it's, they don't go back on it. He just, he leaves. You know? Which that's a little true to reality. <clears throat> yeah. But- yeah, I just, I feel like there's probably people like the mother out there in the world, but I wouldn't respect them or like them. So yeah. I had a hard time respecting or liking the mother's character uh, in this novel. It's interesting, too, because I feel like, I don't know, I've never been to France and I don't know too much about French things, but I feel like their reputation anyway is that, like, French, contemporary French society's rules, you know, quote-unquote yeah. rules about sex are looser than American cultural rules. Mm-hmm. And so so it's like, what happened in the last 150 years? You know, some things happen. Yeah, it was really interesting that, it. or did it exist back then and maybe this author just was <clears throat> against it? Yeah, probably if we'd read that introduction, we'd know that. But I don't care to. No, I mean, I prefer to come with our own conclusions. Otherwise, we'd just be reading you guys the introduction right now. How boring would that be? It'd be real dull. Yeah. Uh, Another thing I thought was interesting is that the very first time we talked about the father in this novel. So the father in this novel is basically like a non-presence, I would Mm -hmm. say. Yeah. He, um, they used to live in... Paris. It was supposed to be Paris, Mm -hmm. yeah. They used to live in Paris. He hated his job there, so he saved up enough money that they could modestly live, and he moved them to the fishing port of Le Havre. And then made a small living there that was enough to keep them fine. It sounded like they were relatively okay. Yeah, middle class. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, they had servants and all that. And so, and he just wanted to live out and be a fisherman. Well, and that was his portrayal through the whole, most of the novel. And all of his characterizations kind of went along with that. But in the first section about him, it talks about him being, like, jovial in front of other people but a tyrant when he's just with them and then it never mentions it again oh, yeah, i didn't even remember that <laughs> yeah i just saw it because i was sticky noted it and then it never mentions him doing that again yeah. um so he's not malicious i'm reading from the book now but he did bully um as do petty tyrants who think that giving orders means um means swearing i don't know what, quite what that means but so it was basically like that he was kind of a dick, but then they never showed him. The only thing is that Pierre, when he realizes that he, he can't love his mom anymore because she's an adulterer and, you know, that's mm-hmm. obviously impossible to him. But he also is like, and I've never loved my dad. Like, he, you know, so that's well, like the only situation. Sounded, and then Jean, the other son, was like, at one point said that he didn't have 
feelings of love for his dad. He was relieved that he was the son of someone else because his dad lived such a modest, dull life, like not striving for things. And I thought that was really interesting that... Especially because basically what his dad does was like work really hard and then retire early and live on his investment, which I feel like is most people's dream. Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, like either... I mean, I'm sure people would want it to be the best results of those investments as they could, but most people would want to, oh, I'm going to save this money, I'm going to retire young so I can pursue this other passion of mine. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's a really typical thing yeah. in current temporary life. The, so the main thing that really struck me about this novel that I feel like made it less throwaway for me is that um, it made me think about how like when you're growing up, and some people it happens really young, and some people it happens older but that you often come to a moment where you like realize that your parents are not like perfect human beings you know like Mm -hmm. uh and and for me that happened like older you know and maybe that's that's good you know I you know I I feel like it's probably hard to you know to always know that because I'm sure there's people who have that as their life experience you know but I just made me think about how remembering how like heartbreaking that moment was and even though now years later we're, we're all adults i you know, have a relationship, great relation with my parents. I don't even think about mm-hmm. what that, whatever that breaking moment was. But in the moment, it felt like so catastrophic. Not so catastrophic that I was like, I can never love my parents. <laughs> <laughs> Not even close. But it was, it was like really emotional. And I was, the other day, it came up in conversation. And even now, it's like, oh, I just don't really want to talk about it. That was just like a like an uncomfortable thing, you know. Uh, and so I thought I captured that really well because I feel like that's a pretty universal. Life I think they came to it real late in the game, though. Yeah, 30 is really late. <laughs> if you're listening and you're 30 and you think your parents are perfect, please go talk with them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're definitely lying to you. <laughs> they're, they're, they're def- they definitely probably, like, smoke in the basement or, like... They've maintained a real good front. <laughs> yeah, and so, like, don't... Yeah, and I, they can still be wonderful people and smoke in the basement. It's possible to be two things, that be everything at the same time, you know? Which... I think it's also interesting, too, because in this book, something that I I felt like you were supposed to think that Gene was this, like, great brother. He's the one that's in a good mood. and he, But yeah. in my head, I was just like, he's only that person because he got the money. If the yeah. roles were reversed, the brother's uh, contest or, like, rivalry like, would have fed to Gene being the bad character. Yeah, and he could have reacted the same way that period, or worse in some way, you know? Yeah, and so I thought that was really interesting because it's like, everybody has that ability in them to be the good guy or the bad guy based on their circumstance yeah. or situation. And so it was nice to read this novel and be like, they're both coming from the same home. They're both yeah. coming from the same upbringing. He's, they're, like, yeah. Pierre's not the bad guy, Gene's not the good guy. Yeah, that reminds me of... Um, have you, ever, do you, have you ever listened to the Hamilton soundtrack? No, I have not. Oh, well, I'm real hooked on it the last couple of months. And it's it's really, a gap. really great. <laughs> and I came to it really late. Just discovering it this summer is, like, pretty late. But the, one of the songs, like, Aaron Burr sings about, like, the song is called Wait For It. Um, and it's, like, the whole song is kind of, like, about, like, if, like, I don't understand why these things are happening right now, but I'm willing to wait for the good thing. And I saw an interview with Lin-Manuel Miranda, and he said that, he wrote that song thinking about like there's always those moments in life where like someone close to you gets that thing like the the chop baby or the marriage or the home ownership and you just the think job. I want to be there and but and then you just tell yourself I just got to wait for it it's going to happen for me you know yeah and I feel like that's what Pierre needed he needed to listen to Hamilton which everybody does <laughs> Hamilton hey the events of that play he predate was, this novel by a hundred years. Hamilton <laughs> 
also haven't talked about the girl in this novel. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Madame Rose... Rosemary. Rosemary, which yeah. I just think is a ridiculous name. Rosemary. Yeah. Ro- Rosemary. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> who is a widow who both Jean and Pierre are interested in. And she has our vocabulary word of the day. So before we started recording, we were talking about how it's pretty rare for us to come across a word and novel that we don't know the meaning to and we can't even figure out in the contest. And we both found one in this novel and then it was the same word that we didn't know. (laughs) I'm going to read the sentence and then we can share what the word means. So they're going out on this journey. They're going to go, they're on like a beach and they're going to be looking for shrimp things. Prawns. Prawns. So, they set out, nets over shoulders and baskets on backs. In this get-up, Madame Rosemilly looked quite charming, with an unsuspected peasant hoydenishness. Which, if you know the meaning of that already, very good. Kudos to you, SATs. <laughs> very impressive. So, we Googled it, and it, me- it means basically like when uh, a woman looks good kind of being a tomboy. Yeah. And so... So, from now on, replace the word tomboy every time with... Hoydenish, or a person is a hoydenish. <laughs> yeah. So apparently, yeah. When it's hoydenish is the uh, the adjective. Adjective. It's so a hoydenish. Yeah. Like when you're trying to use it. Yeah. So yes, a hoid- In this case, hoydenishness. Yes. Which is a. It's just a great word, and so we're gonna start a list of words that we learn through the podcast books, the and thousand one books, and this is number one. one. And we will we will work on dropping it in as many future episodes as possible because it's just really fun Hoidenish. to say. Also, it like makes me think of like cultish. Oh Not yeah, cultish, cultish. Like when you're talking about someone who's gangly. Yeah. Like ho- they t- seem Hoidenish, like they go together. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I'm real into this word. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Spelling test to come. <laughs> yeah, so this woman back to talking about her is in this novel, and both brothers are interested in her, and she uh, basically ends up choosing Jean uh, because she slightly liked him more to begin with, and he has money. And so it was interesting because... Do you think that she would have chosen him even if, he, even if neither of them had gotten the money? Well, she was well off, so I could and see And she that. already was into him, so... But if Pierre had gotten the money, that's mm-hmm. a word, yeah. unknown. Yeah. I think she still would have chosen Jean. Because she's so noble. Because <laughs> no, she already had her own money. Because she already had her own from her money. dead husband. Yeah. And it seemed and like... And Pierre is a jerk. <laughs> it's not like Yeah, it seemed like she also didn't buy into Pierre's petty meanness. Yeah. Like yeah. that turned her off some. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but so at the end of the novel, her and Jean getting hitched. Uh, but it was just so funny. It was like, this is this plot point is just in here... Mary Sue style, so that the brothers can have another thing that they're at odds about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Because <laughs> she didn't really have any character growth. No. <laughs> no, she's definitely sidelined. They're, the only female lead in this is the mother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. The weepy, crying mother. Yeah, it definitely doesn't... What's the test that you do on, like, movies to see if they have gender equality? Oh, gosh. I... The... I can't think of it. I know it, oh. too. Man, we know that you know, listeners. What is it? What is it? Uh, we're going to be so angry when we stop yeah, recording. Yes. I definitely we're definitely going to Google it, it. Because there's a website you can go to to see if it passes the test. Be- the Bechdel test. Yes. Thank yeah, you. This book would not pass the Bechdel test. No. <laughs> Most scenes not. only have men in them. I feel as though yeah. many of the books we read are not going to pass that. Test. Some of them are from more modern times, though. I mean, it goes through the 20th century. Yeah. But, but, and they, 
And they did try to make it more, this current version of the list, more international. So it's not all white men that wrote the books, but probably still a lot of them. So, yeah. <laughs> they probably won't pass the test. Yeah. I don't know if we have much more to say about this one. It's kind of... Well, I guess we have to decide if we think it should go on the list. So far, we've agreed on every novel. And so, I I don't. I mean, we might agree on this one, but I'm looking forward to the day when we disagree. Because what happens then? I don't know. We have to debate. All right. You're going to decide? I, I guess I know, I, I know my answer. I know my answer. We're saying at the same time. Okay. On three. One, One, two, three. three. Yes. No. Oh! <laughs> it happened! Okay, well, tell me why you think it should be on there. Okay, I think it belongs on here because I think it's a nice character study into how people really think. I don't think that these people are necessary people I would want to be friends with or associate with, but I think that it is realistic as to how people think, and so and you could take that even out of the time period. Which I thought was interesting. So, like, I was relating it to, like, if my brother won a million dollars and I didn't. Obviously, my thought process would be slightly different. But I would be thinking those nasty things. Even if I wasn't saying them outside. Because that's human nature. Human nature, yeah. So, and I don't read a lot of books that are about that kind of just analyzing. Mm -hmm. Well, I read family drama. But just analyzing the way people think in such a, like, inside someone's head. Okay. So, that's why I say there might be better ones out there. But I... Don't read them very often, so this was a nice, like, little... Okay. All right. Well, I think that I voted no because it's... Because uh, if we're saying that we're reading the 1,001 books you're supposed to read before you die to see if they're worth people's time, like, if they're... Basically, if they're canon, right? If they're, mm-hmm. like, supposed to be part of the canon of civilization that I'm you're supposed to read. making our own canon. <laughs> yeah, we're making our own canon because we're real cool. And I, and I just feel like this book, it was, like, it was fine. I read it. Some, I agree with those things that you said about it is cool that the, like what it says about human nature, but I I think that I just didn't think I just didn't think it was outstanding. I think to be make it to be a thousand and one books is a lot of books, and for it to be really worth your time, I think it needs to either a do something that other books have built on, like For Whom the Bell Tolls did, like mm-hmm. it's like a foundational anti-war like novel, you know, or b be really compelling and be the kind of book that you think back about think back about because the story is so good or because the moral dilemma is like makes you so thoughtful Mm -hmm. you know that really like changes you that's a good I think that's a novel that's canon and I don't I don't get that from Pierre and Jean we disagreed you feel like this novel changed your life no okay but you're saying that's not the measure I don't know what do you think gets a book on the list I feel like the measure is I guess our measures are different because mine well, this is, is something we should have defined before we started the podcast. No, well, but that's okay. We can have different measures. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, tell me yours. I'm thinking like, is it something that's unique? Something that I haven't seen before, and I think mm, it did it well. A, that is a yeah. It's something you haven't seen before. That is a good one. So like, this was something I hadn't seen before, and I think it did what it was meant to do well. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So what do you think we should do now? I think we should keep using your own measures and see how often they agree and how often they don't. Okay, so I'm so we're gonna put down yes and no. Yeah. <laughs> and then the, on our list here, yes and no. Okay. All right, reader, tell us what you think. Hashtag Pierre and G. Yes or no? <laughs> That's a terrible hashtag, but please use it. Uh, and tell us if you're whose side you're on uh, and what your reason is. Um, yeah, we could see who won. We could duke it out. Yeah. Um, Let's see. So now we're going to transition and we're going to add do our little add-on segment, which this week is going to be about 
our most hated book, which we are entitled in the segment, hashtag shred this book. We had a long discussion about how it couldn't be burn this book because we're against book banning. Because yes, this podcast is coming out against book banning. We are against, um, we are against, what's the word I'm looking for? Censorship. Censorship. We are against it. But sometimes you just don't want a book and it's okay to shred it. Yeah, and it's, it's like... Just, like, give it to Goodwill, you know? <laughs> also, I literally would probably cry even if it was a book I hated if I put it in the shredder. But I do like that. I would hashtag. personally put it in the shredder. I would donate it. But the donate hashtag is good. Book. Donate, <laughs> donate this book. Donate this book. Then it's like, give this book away because you want other people to read it. Nope. We gotta stick with hashtag yeah. shred this book. So we'll probably bring this one back a few times and so you can hear all the books we hate. But we're gonna each give you one book today. Chelsea, you wanna go first? Yes, and mine is actually a book on this list. I can't remember if in the first episode we talked about the books that we're just not going to reread. Yeah. I will not reread Great Gatsby. Yeah, we, we we detailed, we counted how many each of us had read before we started the podcast, and we I think I had read like 50 and you had read like 35 or 40, mm-hmm. and then and so when those books come out of the jar, we're going to read them again, except for Chelsea isn't going to reread The Great Gatsby. Because I hate that book. And I know this is very polarizing. I know people love that book. I love it. <laughs> I see. Even within our own little duo here. But I just, I, I hate books that are super, is meta the right word for this? Not meta. I don't, um, I don't know. <laughs> super like where you need to dig deep for this understanding that you can't guess unless you look at the symbols of the green light and her death in the car. And Oh, good God. Important question. So this is a book that we were both assigned in high school together I read in tenth grade. I was I, gonna say, did you actually read it, or you just you started it and it sucked, and that's why? No, I, I actually read this one. Okay, because I had right. to read it again in college, so I've read uh, it twice. Oh well, then you definitely don't need to read it third and time. I you hate it. Do not like it yeah. at all. It's closely followed by Kafka's Metamorphosis, but I would reread. I think that that's one on the list I too. To. <laughs> I think it is on the list. I'd rather read the one about the dude becoming a bug. <laughs> So that's mine, mm-hmm. and I understand that it's lots of people's favorites. People really like it. It's just not my jam. Did you see the most recent, the Leo DiCaprio movie? No, because I hate the book oh, so much. I just that's what I really like that as a movie, like an artsy book adaptation movie. But anyways, my book that uh, this isn't my most hated shred this book, but my book on the list that I refuse to reread is Huckleberry Finn, which I read in eighth and eleventh grade, which I like, and I hated it. Each time. So I think that's the key. If it's a book you don't like and you're forced to read it again, it evolves into a deep hatred that sticks with you. Because <laughs> if you've read it twice, you're just like, no. Just like, never again am I wasting hours on this. Yes. Um, but my, actually, my most hated book is also a book we are assigned in high school, which it makes me sad because I feel like people are forced to read books like this, even when it's some people love or hate them. And then it makes them think that they're not readers and then they don't read as adults, and that's very sad. But um, my least favorite book is The Scarlet Letter by Nathaniel Hawthorne. And I like this one. And, and li- like, just, like, painful. <laughs> this is the book, as I said earlier, that I read the introduction twice, and so there's, that's already a very bad start. <laughs> and then, and I just... But I, I like Hester Prynne. I mean, I get, like, if I don't think this book is on the list, and if it was... Possibly after reread, we'll see. I mean, as an adult, it might feel different, but maybe it would get a yes from me because I feel like it's foundational and like Western literature, blah blah blah. But it's so boring, and I feel like so I just like like I didn't like the crucible like stuff in like you know like Puritan New England. I don't like as a rule, and 
and I just, yeah, I just found it, I don't know, I can, I like, I can only say that I found it so boring and that the prose was so dense and painful to read. You know, it does not, I feel you know, like it doesn't stand the test what, of time. <laughs> did you read Darkness Falls when we had, not Darkness Falls, that's a movie. The Heart of Darkness. The Heart of Darkness. Loved it. See, those two books were written similarly and I hated Heart of Darkness. But I liked Scarlet Letter. I maybe don't it's love just like, Scarlet Letter, but I like Scarlet Letter. Maybe it's just Letter. like a universal law that you can only like one of those books. Maybe. <laughs> Two, though, if you had to reread Scarlet Letter, would you? I mean, I wouldn't ever choose it, but if it's on the list, which I don't think it is, I would reread it because it is one where I feel like I could revise my opinion of it, or it could be like Huckleberry Finn, and the second could even deepen my hatred. Yeah. See, it's that reread. See, I didn't, I don't like Back to Metamorphosis, Metamorphosis by Kafka, which there's some Russian authors on this list, and I'm not a big Russian Austrian fan. Me neither. Um, but We're going to read them. <laughs> I've read. Three times. Why? I read it once in high school. Oh, I that's right. I think we read like an excerpt. We didn't read the whole thing. I read it as a, one of my book choices, I think. Oh, I think we. I think in 10th grade we read like an excerpt from it. Okay, but then I read it in high school, oh, whole thing. Oh, jeez. And I read it twice in college. Once for a lit class and once for... I don't remember what the other... There's, like, there's so many books. Why do multiple college classes assign the well, same ones? <laughs> literally, I'm sure people like this, and I'm just alienating them. If you like it, that's great. He turns into a bug and dies. Like It's a metaphor, Chelsea. <laughs> I, metaphors are not my thing. I just don't understand. Tell it in a story I relate to. Tell it in a way where I feel like the characters are humanized. Don't give me some stupid fucking metaphor about him being a bug. <laughs> Yeah, and I like, we. I remember in 10th grade we read some other Kafka things, short stories that I did like, but I didn't like I won't read any more Kafka because of that. A Metamorphosis is on the list. We're, we're rereading it I, at some point before we die. We said we could say there'd be one book we wouldn't reread, and I've made my stand at Great Gatsby. The I thing will reread Metamorphosis. If we, what if we draw Great Gatsby and you know Metamorphosis is still in the jar? Then you have to like make the call. Cause what if what if there's just a really heinous book in there that we don't know about yet? Which one's shorter? <laughs> Probably Metamorphosis, right? There is also a book that we've had our eye on that we know is on the list that is a We have that we have purchased, that we have in our homes. We thought we were going to read it. We are gonna read it eventually, but we're just we're just pushing it down the list a little bit because it it's dragging, so someday we'll tell you what that book is, but not today. <laughs> yeah, and so there is one that I'm like, maybe I could reread Metamorphosis and The Great Gatsby and say I won't read that. I don't know if we can skip one that we've never read, right? Because you could still be in the conversation on The Great Gatsby because you read it. You True. Know? I think we can only skip one reread, but anything we haven't read, unless we can't find the novel for some reason. And there will be some of those. There are some that aren't translated. I know that from, or at least on previous versions of the list there were, mm. that are just like in Japanese from the 1500s that we're not going to be able to find. Maybe we can find someone to read them to us. <laughs> yeah. I Maybe did. by then we'll have readers who can translate them for us. That would be really But I said cool. readers, on, not Amazon. listeners. Like e-read. Or, or, or like the e-reader oh, automatically translate it. so cool. Come on, Amazon. Get your shit together. We just gave you an idea. We would like the millions of dollars of royalties. Yes, thank you. Like the babblefish in... Uh, in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. We want that. Great, that's a great book. <laughs> that's so fun. Um, let's draw our next book. All right. I'm pulling out a little piece of paper, and it says Reasons to Live. That's our next book. What do we think it's about? to live well I think it sounds depressing 
Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, someone is thinking about committing suicide and and someone's trying to convince them not to. Like a 13 reasons why reverse That's what I was just going to say. And I, I feel like it, I, I would guess it's like more modern. I mean, it might be good. I've, I've clearly stated that I like books that make me cry like a baby. Yeah. In fact, frequently my boyfriend is confused why I come into bed with like sobbing red eyes, sniffling <laughs> nose, and just looks at me like I'm an idiot. But so <laughs> maybe I will you. greatly enjoy this novel. <laughs> maybe, yeah. So we'll be coming out with you with you guys that next time. Um, we wanted to remind you to rate and review us on iTunes. It helps the podcast, helps us get seen. And so we want to hear your thoughts. And we want to remind you also to follow us on Twitter at 1001BooksPod and Facebook at the same as well. Mm-hmm. And if you feel like you want to contact us via email, we are 1001bookspodcast at gmail.com. Thus far, that website email only has junk mail, so it'd be real great to get a real one. <laughs> also, I mean, that's also because we haven't posted any episodes. Of the yeah, we're, we're pre-recording something. So, <laughs> uh, and don't forget to send us your hashtag shred this book that you really hate and tell us about it. And maybe you could email us like questions that we could answer in future segments. That would be really yes, fun. Because we may run out. Yes, and we and we want to talk about what you guys want to hear about, uh, and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye. Happy reading. Bye.